0: Thank you very much, Brother Shane and the praise team. Uh, What a great reminder. I love singing songs about the amazing grace that God has shown us, about how good he's been to us. Uh, We cannot recount those things enough. We cannot think about it enough, and so I'm thankful for y'all leading us to do that through song today. This morning, if you want to turn to the book of Genesis, you can. Uh, That's where we'll be together If you can remember, and I know this is a very big ask, but if you can remember any time before 2020, and there were years before 2020, but if you can remember that far back, we spent several months in the book of Genesis, and we started in Genesis 1, and we worked our way through Genesis 23, and then we left there with the intention of coming back and finishing the rest of Genesis. And so, that's what we're doing today, is we're going back to the book of Genesis to fill out the rest of the story that we find in the book of Genesis. Now, I am somewhat practical, and I recognize that most of you do not remember what I preached about last week. Many of you do not remember what was taught about in Sunday school today. That may not be true, but... I do not expect that you remember all the things that we talked about in Genesis in 2019. So this morning, I'm going to do something that I've rarely ever done in pastoral ministry, but I do think it's useful in certain times. We're going to do an overview sermon. So what we covered in Genesis a couple of years ago, we're going to go back and have a bit of a refresher as we look at some of the major themes and some of the major topics that we saw while we were there, so that next week, whenever we start going chapter by chapter through the rest of the book of Genesis, we'll all be on the same page. So, if you would, look with me in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we'll start. So, we're going Genesis 1, chapter 1, through chapter 23. And in Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right. I'm kidding, I'm not really going to start here and read all the way through chapter 23. But, but I do want us to be reminded, because in Genesis 1, we see a theme. We see God as this creator God. The God who created everything out of nothing. A God who can take nothing and unexpected things, and make them into something beautiful and amazing. And this is something that we're going to see in some ways over and over throughout the book of Genesis, and throughout all of Scripture, and we'll highlight that as we look through it. But, but we see here, we're reminded that God displayed many things when He made the world. Right? He displays His power. He displays His creative ability. He, he displays... His graciousness to us as He made humans, but not only made them, but made us in His image and then breathed His life into the first man, Adam. And we see the personal nature of God as He, as he creates Adam in that way and then creates Eve and then walks with them in the garden. And so we see this and then, of course, everything is good as it should be But not for long because Adam and Eve sin and then things are bad and there's the curse. But even in the curse, there's the promise of the redeeming one that's going to come and strike the head of the serpent. But so things are bad and then they get worse, right? Cain and Abel, we know that story. And then things get even worse whenever we get to the time of Noah. And now it's not just a few people that are bad, but it's just a few that are doing anything but bad all the time everywhere that you look. And so God then punishes rightly and justly the sinfulness of the people of the world when he sends the flood and then, of course, enters into a covenant. Not just with Noah, But enters into a covenant in Genesis 9 with all of his creation. And of course we remember the rainbow. And here we see a beautiful blessing of God. That he is a God that is willing to make promises to the people and things that he has created. Right? He didn't owe it to Noah to make this promise that he wouldn't destroy the earth with a flood again. He didn't owe it to the earth. He he was rightly punishing whenever he sent the flood. But he graciously blesses us by entering into this covenant and telling us that won't ever happen again. The earth will not be destroyed by a flood. And every time we see a rainbow, we're reminded of this. And so then for a little bit, things are good, right? Because many of the sinful people of the world have been wiped out. But they don't stay that way for long because Noah gets drunk and... Then his son looks on his nakedness. And, and then things get even worse again with the Tower of Babel. And now we see another, once again, large group of people doing things that they should not do. And again, we see God disciplining those people. And so we see this pattern over and over. as We see God creating or making right what we've made wrong and blessing and being gracious And men and women messing it up over and over and over. And God making it right, and men and women messing it up. And point one that I want us to remember is that Genesis reveals many things. Now, I want to speak to that just a little bit because you say, well, brother, that's not a very useful point. But I want you to recognize this, that Genesis does not just offer to us a lot of historical facts. It does that. You want to know how the world got here? Genesis 1 tells you. You want to know how good things were? Genesis 1. You want to know how men and women got here? How we were created? It's all in there, right? You want to know how we were spread around the earth? How different languages came about? It's in there. You can find these historical facts, but Genesis is not just a book given to us to give us historical facts. And I want you to, to hear this. I know it's early, but some people may already be asleep. And if they're asleep, go ahead and wake them up. Because I want you to hear this. When you're reading, especially in these first few books of the Bible, when you're reading in Genesis, and, and you're seeing these things and these historical accounts, I want you to do this, to ask this question. Not just, what is this telling me? But what is this telling me about God? Right? It's telling me that he created things, but you know what that's also telling me? That's telling me that he is a creative God. You know, it's showing me that he is the all-powerful one. So when we read through these first few chapters of Genesis, I wrote down a couple of things that I recognized just quickly glancing at this. We recognize that God is creative and that he is all-powerful, and we recognize that he is a personal God, right, as he makes man in his own image, and he walks with them in the garden, and and we see that God is gracious, gracious to have made us in the first place, because he didn't have to, and to make us in his image, and then to over and over make right what we've made wrong. He's a gracious God. He's a God that's very patient, right? There are times that there's discipline that comes, but there are large areas between there that things are not going right and people are not doing what they should have, that he's not punishing. He's a very patient and long-suffering God. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of covenants and promises. And that's something that we learn in Genesis that is formative for our understanding of all of Scripture. That God is a God that makes and keeps promises and covenants. He is a God that is righteous and just, who will not allow evil and wrong and sin to go unpunished. And we see that. So we're seeing these stories, but it's not just the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Noah and the story of the Tower of Babel. We're seeing these historical accounts and we're learning things about God, who he is and what he's like. So those are children that have the children's bulletins that are answering the questions Genesis shows us who God is and what he is like. And I pray that we recognize that. So when you're reading in Genesis, ask those questions. What am I seeing here, and what is this telling me about God? What can I understand more about God because I see this? And then in Genesis 12, if you would turn there with me, in Genesis chapter 12, we see this formative shift in the early book, uh, the first book that we have here in these early chapters, We've been learning about the world and how it's created and the people groups. And all of a sudden, we are introduced to a man named Abram. And Abram, who will eventually become Abraham, is doing something. God is doing something through him that's completely different. At this point, God has decided to make a people for himself. To have his own nation that will specifically display his glory that will just specifically display and show and tell his attributes to the world. And so we're introduced to this first in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Says, so, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see this. God calls this man, and we don't know much. He's shown up in a genealogy before this, but Abram, we don't know a whole lot about him to this point in time. It's not like there's been a long narrative about Abram. But we see that he's called by God, that this man is specifically chosen. God says, this is the man that I want to be the father of my nation that I'm creating. And so when we're reading about Abraham and his story, that's what we're reading is God choosing this man to start the nation of Israel. It will eventually become Israel, we recognize that. And so in verse 2, whenever God says the word nation there, that's exactly what it means. It's a common people with land, law, and rule and authority. God is creating his own nation here. And so we recognize that, that God is doing this work, and he's going to use Abram to do it. But I also want you to think for just a moment about this man that God is calling. Point two is this. God chose an unexpected man. If you think about all the people that were on earth at this time, and I don't know all of them, but if you think about all of them, I imagine that there would be somebody that seemed like a more fitting or at least more expected choice for the person. If God says, I'm going to choose one man that's going to be the father of the nation that is going to display my glory specifically to this world, that there was somebody that you would have thought that he was going to choose before he chose Abram. Why? Well, the, the short of it is that Abram is a man who had grown up steeped in idol worship. We see that the places that he had lived, Ur and Haran, those are two cities that are centers for the worship of this moon god. There was a specific moon god back then. And those two cities, the two places that he said to have lived, were centers of worship for this moon god. And not only that, but it, it, where his family's name in the genealogy. So he has a niece that's named after the moon god's daughter. And his wife, Sarah, that's a name that's one of the cohorts of the moon god. And in Joshua 24, we're even told that his dad, Terah, served other gods. So you've got a man whose dad is specifically said to have served other gods, who lived in two towns where they worshipped this false god, who has family members that are named after this false god. And so when you look and say, who's God going to choose to display himself to the world, to start a nation that will worship him and him alone, you probably wouldn't have picked the man from the moon god-worshipping area. Not only that, but spoiler alert, a man that is married to his half-sister, his half-sister who, oh, by the way, cannot have children, is said to be barren. And you say, that's the man that God, in all of his wisdom, And all of his sovereignty chose to be the father of his nation. But it is. This is the man that God chose. And again, we're reminded of the creativeness of our God. And we're reminded of the power of God. That he doesn't have to choose people with a great and amazing pedigree. Right? He does not have to choose people that have a long resume to do the work that he wants to do. He is a God that often chooses unexpected people to do amazing things. And we see that in the life of Abram. And so the story goes on. And as you read about it, God takes him to the promised land. And he's showing him the promised land. And he tells him, this land your children will inherit. Your offspring will have this land. But as time goes on... Abram and Sarah's genetic clocks are ticking, and they still don't have children. And the last text I want us to look at is in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, we find the covenant that God makes with Abram. And at this point, they've gotten pretty old, and they still don't have any kids. And Abram's starting to get worried. And we see that specifically here, beginning in verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, "So, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And you see Abram here, really at a place where he's desperate. And he says, God, you promised me that if I left my family and my place and came here, that you were going to do some big things for me. But one of those things requires that I have a son, and I still don't have a son, and this servant of mine is going to have to be my heir. And God says, and I can just, I can almost imagine Abram as he's, he's asking God about this, and God here comforts him and says, No, Abram, is not going to be your heir. You will have your own son. I will give you a son, as I've promised that I will give you a son. He takes him outside. And if any of you have ever been outside, I think I probably shared this story before, but one time I was at the Grand Canyon. There was a place that you could go that was two miles from the nearest source of light. And when you looked up there, there were thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of stars. I mean, just amazing. And that's what abram likely saw right he walks out in the desert and there are no cities nearby and he looks and he would have seen all the stars of the night sky and god says if you could if you can number those stars i'm telling you that's how many your offspring are going to be and i'm reminded of psalm 147 that we read together earlier that abram couldn't count the stars but you know who could god could says that God had chosen the number of the stars. He had said it. And not only that, he knew every single one of them by name. And he says, look at those stars. That's what your offspring are going to be like. And then he goes on later in this chapter, and God promises on his own life. God makes a covenant on his own life that not only would Abram have descendants but that God would bring those descendants back here and he would give them this land flowing with milk and honey. And point three is this, God is a God of promises. And we see that in the book of Genesis and then it carries throughout all the scripture and it continues today. Not only a God of promise, he's a God of big promises. You have to think about Abram, wherever God calls him. He calls a man with a barren wife and says, your wife, you and your wife will have a child. And not only one child, but you're going to have descendants that are going to be innumerable. And they're taken from this land of idol worship to this great land of Canaan that's said to be flowing with milk and honey. And it's the greatest land in the area. And God says, this land will belong to you and your descendants. And He says, I'm going to make you into not just a nation, but a great nation that are going to be My people. And He also says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we see those things come true as you read throughout Scripture. We see that they do have Isaac, right? They have the son that they've waited for for over 90 years. And then God says, sacrifice him. And Abram, Abraham takes him to the mountain and is going to sacrifice him. And of course, God stops him. And Isaac does end up Abraham to Isaac, and it leads to an entire nation. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the nation being built. We're going to see the nation forming. That's where we're going to pick up next week. This is really where I want us to make sure that we work from. From the point that God created out of nothing all that exists to the point that he has chosen this man that is going to be the father of his nation, and he has promised him a son, and he has had the son, And Isaac is now going to be the one that we'll start reading about next week. But I also want us to reflect on this for just a moment before we end. That Genesis is a story, it's the beginning of the story, right? It's the beginning of the human story. It's not the beginning of God's story, but it's the beginning of the human story. And the human story, in my mind, is this. It's a story of a gracious and patient and creative and all-powerful, loving, personal God... Who decided to create a world and to create people to be on that world and then to be in relationship with those people. And when those people broke that relationship by rebelling against Him, making a way that they could be redeemed, making a way that they could be reconciled to Him. And as I look at the story of Abraham, as I look at his story, I see my story. And I see your story. You think about an unworthy and unexpected person. God choosing this unworthy and unexpected person and making him promise after promise after promise that he didn't have to make. God didn't have to make those promises to Abram. He didn't have to tell him that that I'll make you into a great nation, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, but he did. He chose to. And brothers and sisters, it's the same for us. We talk about the, the Noahic covenant and we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, but you know the one that means the most to us It's the new covenant. The new covenant that is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the God of Genesis is still God today. And He was a God of promises, big promises, to unworthy people then. And he's a God of big promises to unworthy people today. Brothers and sisters, we are not worthy of God's glory. We're not worthy of being his people. We're not worthy of his forgiveness. We're not worthy of his time. All we're worthy of on our own is his punishment and his wrath. But instead of giving us that, he gave us his son. Jesus who came and died in our place. And you look and you say, if God was going to choose anybody to be a herald that would share his message with the nations, why would he choose me? Why would he choose Abraham to be the father of the nation? Why would he choose you and why would he choose me? Because before I became a Christian, I was not the type of person that you would have thought, that's the one. That's the one that God needs right there. He gets Zach on his team and he's going all the way. You wouldn't have thought that. There was nothing about me that God would have wanted me. But brothers and sisters, he is so good. And he is so kind. And he is so gracious. If you don't know what that's like. And you think, no, I'm so unworthy, he wouldn't ever have me. I want you to hear this morning, you're wrong. You're wrong. None of us are so bad or so far off that He would not have us. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And He has offered His Son so that that could be possible. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know what that looks like, then come this morning and let me tell you about it. Because I've got some really good news to share with you. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian, but you think your job is to just be a nominal Christian. Just kind of keep your head down and get through life and get to heaven because... There's, you think there's nothing special about me. I'm not a great singer, and I'm not a great speaker, and I'm, I'm not a missionary, and I don't play an instrument. There's nothing about me that God could use to do big things. Let me tell you about Abram. Let me tell you about Noah. Let me tell you about Moses. Let me tell you about David. Let me tell you about Zach. Brothers and sisters, God has shown a pattern of taking people that you don't think he could do anything with and doing big, big things with them. God has big plans for you. And I pray that if you have not recognized that and if you're not working to do those things and to share his gospel with the lost world and to sing his praises and to worship him daily, that you would come and tell him, Brother Zach, I would like to know more about how God could use me to do big things because he can and he will and he wants to. This morning I want to invite you to stand and we're going to have a time of response. And I don't know where you are and I don't know what the Lord has specifically impressed upon your heart as you've heard this overview, this 10,000 foot view of the first half of the book of Genesis. But brothers and sisters, I've been blessed as I've studied this this week and I've been reminded of how good God has been to an unworthy people. And so this morning we've already sang some of Amazing Grace And we're going to sing the rest of Amazing Grace. That's right? Okay, good. Uh, We're going to sing the rest of Amazing Grace because we're reminded that all of this is by God's grace. It's not something that we have earned. It's not something that we could earn. Maybe this morning you need to pray and repent. Maybe this morning you have questions and you want to come and ask me those questions. Maybe this morning you're just thankful for who the Lord is and what He's done. And you want to sing in response to Him. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but I ask that you do this. You be faithful to the Lord and whatever he's calling you to do during this time of response as Brother Shane leads us.